All right, if you would, please turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, this morning. Uh, and as you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a little story. Uh, if you've been around for a while, you know that my first job was at Kmart. I'm going to tell you another Kmart story um, that I haven't told you before. When I was working at Kmart, uh, probably about two weeks, my manager came to me. And remember, I was working in the garden center. And uh, he said, Brian, do you know how to run a forklift? I was 16. I'd had my driver's license for a few weeks. And so, you know, I answered him. I said, of course. (laughs) I did. I said, sure. I know how to run a forklift. I had never actually ever been on a forklift ever in my life. But I thought, you know, how hard can this actually be to run a a forklift, right? Well, fortunately, he left and let me, you know, kind of figure this out without an audience because I jumped on the forklift. I hit the gas. I turned the wheel quickly. And if you, ever, if you know anything about forklifts, like they're really top-heavy, and the, you turn the back wheels. And so I cranked it, turned the wheel, and this thing just started to flip over. So I jumped off. Right? <laughs> I jumped off, and I watched this forklift. It's going, you know, and it's, it's, it's running. I'd, I'd taken it out in the back parking lot, but then it, it flips, and it turns, and it's going right toward the, the chain-link fence, you know, of the garden center. And finally, it settled down. So I ran, I jumped on it again, and I turned it off. I was like... I don't know if you've ever had that that feeling where you go, okay, I don't actually know what I'm doing. Uh, I never told him about that that moment. But have you ever had that feeling where you you don't know what you're doing and you know that you don't know what you're doing. You feel completely and utterly inadequate for the job at hand. Uh. It's something new, it's something scary, it's something that you're not trained for. Maybe you're here for summer school, you jumped into a new class and you read the syllabus, you go, oh no, I don't have the prerequisites for this. Or it's a new major, or it is a a new job, or uh, you're a new new parent. You know, it seems like moms kind of intuitively jump into this quicker, but I remember as a new dad, I just thought, oh no, I'm going to break this thing. You know, you feel completely overwhelmed. Or grooms at weddings, I've done over a hundred weddings and and. Brides seem to be, they're just cruising through this process, but it's the groom that I always say, don't pass out. I mean, and I have literally had grooms pass out, literally, right? Now I kind of know the signs, right? <laughs> so yeah, there's one groom, I go, whoa, hold on, I turned the best man, get a chair, right? And so he sat, he sat holding his brides. <laughs> this is how we did the wedding, Right? Have you ever had that feeling in your spiritual life? God, I, I want to be used by you, and I know that you want to use me, but I'm, I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm, I've got too much sin in my life. I'm too broken. God, how can you possibly ever use me? I'm not adequate for this. You know, that's actually normal and, and the right thing to feel. Paul said not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. We are broken, we are sinful, we're not adequate for the things that God calls us to do, and yet it's his adequacy that enables us. Because then he gets all of the credit, he gets all of the glory. Remember hearing it said years ago, God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Right. So it is in his calling that he also supplies the qualification, the enablement, the empowerment. In fact, God is going to call you to things in your life that you are not adequate to do. And that's when you learn to lean into him and trust in the power of his spirit. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Joshua. And Joshua is at a moment at the very beginning 
of his ministry where he's, he's feeling exactly this same thing. It's an overwhelming task that God gives him to do. So if you're not in Joshua 1 yet, please turn there. Uh, but before we get into the text, I want to uh, just kind of remind us of where we are historically in the Bible. Uh, about 2100 B.C., Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham and he made him promises. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to give you a seed or family that's going to come from you. And I'm going to give you blessings. And because of all these rich blessings that I give to you, you will be a blessing to all of the nations. In fact, I'm going to make your family into a great nation. And in your family, all of the nations of the earth will experience blessing. Now, it started out fairly rough and it started out fairly small. But eventually Abraham's small family grew into a family of about 70 uh, he, uh, his grandson had 12 sons who really weren't very mature people, and they argued and they fought. They bickered, and remember that they, they took their one brother, Joseph, and they sold him into slavery. He went down into Egypt, but God had a plan, even in allowing that wickedness within the family, because there was a famine in the land of Canaan, Palestine, and uh, all the family had to leave, and they ended up going down into Egypt, and because Joseph was already there, he rescued the family from starvation, from, from annihilation. And while they were in Egypt for 400 years, the family grew from 70 to 2 million. Because there were 2 million non-Egyptians living in Egypt and they were becoming larger and a, potentially a greater threat to the powers in Egypt, the Egyptians put them into slavery. And the Israelites cried out and they said, Lord, deliver us. And God did. He sent Moses, raised up a leader, and Moses... Uh, by the power of God's Spirit, delivered Israel. They came out into the wilderness, and God gave them a constitution, which we call the Law of Moses, which told them how to worship the Lord, how to interact with one another, how to interact with the neighbors around them so that you can become not just a big family of two million, but you can become a nation and go in and occupy the land that I've promised to you. And so now they're beginning to form as a nation. They get right to the edge of the promised land. Remember, they send in the spies. The spies come back, and they say, we can't do it. Why? Because they begin to look at their own inadequacies and the size of the calling that God had put before them. And they said, we, we can't do it. They took their eyes off of the power of God and onto themselves. And they said, no, Lord, we, we can't. Moses, take us back to Egypt. Better to be slaves. Better to be slaves. And so God said, well, since... You're just looking at yourselves and your own adequacy. Clearly, you can't actually go in because only my strength can be, bring you in. So what you're going to do instead is you're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness until you die off. And I'll take your kids in. They will, they will be able to do it because they will, they will trust in me. And so that's where we are in Joshua chapter 1. The people now, this next generation, is right at the edge of the promised land. They're about to go in and they need courage and they need strength and they need leadership that is courageous and strong, and that task falls to Joshua. So I want you to read with me Joshua chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, 
all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, this will be your territory. And he goes on, he says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why? Because your calling is great. Now, I, I chose the word great because it's, it's ambiguous. It, it means uh, a couple things, right? It means great. It means, gosh, it's huge. But also, it's really important. And Joshua has this sense, right? This is an enormous calling. It's an enormous task before him and before the people, but it's also an incredibly important task. And so God gives him, in a sense, three components of this calling. The first is lead God's people. Read with me again verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. (laughs) Joshua, in case you missed that, he's dead. He can't lead any longer. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise across this Jordan, you and all of this people, which is, as we said, uh, at least two million people by this point in time. It's two million people who have only known the leadership of Moses. And Moses was a great leader, right? He was the first, and historically, we'll find out later, probably the greatest leader next to David that Israel ever had. These are big sandals to fill, right? Can you imagine? Two million people. Wow, that's overwhelming. Two million people who've been led by an incredibly great leader. Two million people who historically haven't followed well. (laughs) These are people who grumble and they complain and they don't have faith. They look at the problem, not at the greatness of their God. Those are the parents. And because of their failure, God said, well, you'll wander in the wilderness and you'll all die off. In other words, your calling is to wander and die. These are the parents of the people now that you're leading. I'm just guessing that their homes were a little dysfunctional. At that, right? They probably weren't raised in the, the greatest environment, the, the most faith-filled environment. And Joshua has to wonder, how can I fill Moses' role? And will this people follow any better than their parents followed? This is an enormous task. Lead God's people. Even Moses had tried to turn down the job. Right? God, lead your people by... Whoever you choose, just not me. (laughs) It's you, Moses. And now, God comes to Joshua and says, Moses is dead. This is now your calling. Lead God's people. Second, claim God's land. Verse 3. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, this will be your territory. Now, if, that, if those boundaries sound familiar, they were first stated back in Genesis chapter 2. But these are the same boundaries as the land of Eden in which God placed a garden. But this, is, this is God's land. It's the same boundaries of the land that was promised to Abraham. This is God's land. From this land, God said, I'm going to rule over all the earth and I'm going to bless all of the earth from this place. And so you'd expect, wow, God chose just the most incredible land that's available on the face of the earth, right? I mean, uh, we just got back from a week vacation in in Colorado and I was like, wow, why don't I live here? Why do I live in Texas? This is a really, really, really pretty place. I think, well, God... The promised land must look something like like Colorado, right, or or Washington State, or British Columbia, or or Maine, right? No, it doesn't. Not at all. I mean, promised land is it's dirty and rocky and dusty. The only way you can live on the promised land is if God sends 
the right amount of rain at the right time. That's it. There's one river, it's the, it's the river Jordan, that goes into the Dead Sea that's dead because it's dead. It, it grows, nothing lives there. It's, it's, the salt content's so high, everything's dead, right? Otherwise, there are no rivers that flow unless it rains. You, you just can't live there. Unless God provides, it's rocky. You have to go through the fields and pull up the rocks and you do that one year and they grow more. And they're just, all the fences are made of rocks because you have rocks in your fields. It's difficult. And he says, go claim my land. Go claim my land and do it with my people who are not soldiers, right? But what you're going to have to do as you go in is you're going to have to conquer my enemies, I want you to take this land from the wilderness, verse 4, and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river river Euphrates, all the land of uh, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Amalekites and the Canaanites. And, you know, this is a a period in Israel's history, this conquest in Joshua. Some people go, whoa, what's going on here? Why did God insist on removing all of these people from the land? The answer is because they were exceptionally evil people. But instead of the Amalekites, there was absolutely no fear of God before their eyes. The Amalekites lived in the land that was also surrounded Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember when Abraham was talking to the Lord? He said, Lord, please don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What if you find 50 righteous people? He goes, okay, I'll, I'll hold off for 50. Mm, can't find 50. How about 40? I can't find 40. 30? No, there's not 30. 20? No, there's, not, there's not 20. How about 10? If, if there's even 10, not even 10 people in the entire city. This is the land of the Canaanites who were exceptionally immoral in their worship. All kinds of sexual practices that were a part of their worship of the sun and the moon and the stars and the gods of thunder and lightning and storms. And so we're told in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, in fact, that God kept his children out of the land, the promised land, for 400 years in order to give that people an opportunity to repent and they did not. So when Israel came in, they had an opportunity to attach themselves to Israel, but, but hardly anyone did. Remember, the Gibeonites did. By deceit, they attached themselves. But then there was just uh, one woman that we know of that, that believed in the Lord out of all of the nations that were conquered. Do you remember who she was? Rahab, right. Rahab the prostitute, who also ended up in the lineage of Jesus, by the way, because God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So God says, go in and remove this people from my land because they're not bringing me honor and they're not bringing me glory. Now, that had to feel overwhelming to, uh, excuse me, that had to feel overwhelming to Joshua. So lead this people, two two million people who are the children of, of rebellious, ungrateful people, claim God's land, a rocky, hard place, conquer God's enemies. These are enemies who are, they're, they're bitter, bigger, they're stronger, they're, they're more qualified to fight. They've got fortresses. Israel, the, these people don't know warfare. They don't have any weaponry. They don't have anything. Joshua, this is, this is your calling. That had to be, feel incredibly overwhelming. But, you know, that's exactly what God does for us too. He calls us into things that we cannot do in ourselves so that he gets all of the credit when it's accomplished. So, church, what are our Callings. I want to give you uh, three of them. The first is this. You are called to salvation. You're called into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus would say in Mark chapter 2. 
Hearing this, Jesus said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, he, this is a little bit of irony because he doesn't, he's talking to Pharisees again, and they're not actually righteous, but he's just kind of tweaking them. Again, he says, really, you need to realize that you're sick. And you're so sick that you can't heal yourself, but you need a physician. And church, we have to start at this point as well. We're sick. Our sickness is sin, which doesn't mean that we're as evil as we possibly could be. It means that sin has affected every area of our lives, the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we act, our speech. Everything is affected by sin. And as a result of that sin, we we can't earn our way back to God. We can't find our way back to God. We're broken and we need a physician. We can't accomplish reconciliation with God apart from God initiating that with us. So, as Jesus would say here, Revelation chapter 22, John records this. The spirit and the bride, they say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. That's, that's the gospel. Right? And, and maybe you're, you're visiting... Uh, for the first time this summer, or uh, you know, you're, you're new in town and you're trying to find a church, uh, I want to help you understand this is what uh, Grace Bible Church is about. We're about grace. So the reason the name Grace is in the name of the church is because we believe that uh, God's grace means that he chases us down. And he initiates, and he loves us, even knowing all of our brokenness and all of our faults and all of our fears and all of our failures He says, I offer you life with me forever for free. And that's it. And and, you know, you can't get anything for free in this world. And yet the greatest gift that's available, God offers for free in Jesus Christ. He says, come. The Spirit says, come. In church, that's our job too. We say, we're the bride. We say, come, drink of the waters of life freely. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, and you don't know, is your debt of sin removed? You don't know, do you have eternal life? I want to encourage you just to, to come before the Lord. And the way that you can do that is real simple. You don't even have to close your eyes or bow your head. You can just speak in your heart and in your mind and say, God, I, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the one who's died for my sins and he can give me eternal life. And I can't earn it on my own. Thank you. Thank you. And if you already know Jesus, you're a member here or you're just visiting here uh, every week, For the rest of your time at Grace Bible Church, you will hear me take a moment, present the gospel, because somehow it just works its way into the Bible, whatever text I'm in. And that's your moment, if you already know Jesus, to um, not check out, but to think about the people around you, and maybe they don't know Jesus and you can pray for them. Or you think about friends that you know that don't know Jesus, and you pray for your friends in that moment, or you pray for your family members. In other words, you engage with me in beseeching the Spirit to, to just open people's hearts. They go, yes. Right? They say yes to something they can't do for themselves, which is receive eternal life. Okay? So that's the first calling we see in Scripture on us. The second is we are called to sanctification or to become like Jesus. Peter says, for you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Peter says, this is part of your calling. Imitate Jesus. Become like Jesus. And you know what? You can't do that on your own either. You can change some of your behavior that people observe, but to have your your character transformed, to, to have the affections of your heart, the things that you genuinely love, to have those things changed, you can't do that. On your own. That's a work of the Spirit of God that you allow Him to do. And you lean into that with Him. 
And so Peter says, you've been called for this purpose. Walk in the steps of Christ. But you can't accomplish that on your own. No. Third calling, to make disciples. Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And what I've discovered is, you know, once you finally understand the gospel and you trust Christ, you realize, okay, I, I didn't earn that, and I can't earn it, and you receive it as a gift. And then you begin to say, you know, but, but I want to grow, and I want to be like Christ. And you try to do a lot of that on your own, and you're super frustrated. And you go, man, this is hard. And you go, oh, man, this is impossible. And you begin that process of learning how to actually depend on the Spirit to transform you. And, and those things seem intuitive, but I find that for so many believers in so many churches, we check out on this third calling and we say, yeah, but that's just for the super spiritual among us. And I go, no, that's the normal Christian life. Every single one of you, every single believer in Christ, in every church that's worshiping this morning throughout the world, we are called to reproduce the life of Christ that's within us. It may look differently in the way that you share the gospel or the way that you invest in someone else learning to pray and read the word and follow the spirit. It may look differently, but it's still your calling. Make disciples of all nations. And you know what? That's overwhelming. Just just that of all nations part, right? So every nation, every one of my neighbors care about them. Every, Every tribe, tongue, people, nation didn't do that every day. Church, we can pull off nice on our own. You can, you can be nice to the person who's bagging your groceries at Kroger, and you can be nice to your neighbor, but to have the courage and the boldness by the power of the Spirit to, to let a conversation move into Jesus and to talk about Jesus, to have the courage to say, you know, I don't actually really know how to pray well, but can I help you learn how to pray? We, we can pull off nice, but we can't pull off making disciples of all nations. This It's too big for us. But it's exactly what God has called us to, and so he gives us the resources to do it. So, God says to Joshua, look, I'm going to give you a calling, and it's way too much for you. And, you know, Moses was a great leader, but he struggled with it. But I'm going to give you the resources to do it. Church, he says the same thing to you. You have a calling, right? Called into salvation, called to become like Jesus, sanctification, called to make disciples of all nations. You can't do it on your own, but I'm going to give you the resources because he never gives us a calling without also giving us the corresponding resources to do it. So he says to Joshua, be strong and be courageous. So read with me again, chapter 1, and let's read verse 5. The Lord says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you, and I will not forsake you. Moses, be strong, or Joshua, be strong and courageous, because God's resources are prodigal. Right? And I cho- chose another word there because I wanted to kind of grab your attention. Prodigal, what do you think of immediately? Your prodigal son, right? Prodigal son. Um, we call him prodigal. It's not a word I've used in the last year in actual <laughs> normal conversation. Uh, it can be described as uh, recklessly extravagant. So that prodigal son, he's recklessly extravagant, but also really means, in a sense, lavish. Right? And so in that story, I think it's actually the story of the prodigal father. His wealth is prodigal or prodigious. His generosity, his kindness, his love, his forgiveness, his reconciliation 
is prodigal. It is extravagant. It is lavish. And so are God's resources for you. So let me illustrate this uh, for you. Uh, anybody familiar with Ikea, right? Make a chair and take a seat. I'm, I'm kind of poking fun at Ikea, but I love Ikea. Uh, I, I, we've bought a lot of their, their stuff and, you know, it's pretty high quality, reasonable quality. It's pretty cheap. I like putting stuff together for, for myself and, and I'm Swedish. So, you know, I, I like Ikea, uh, but I will tell you one time we bought a, I think it was a chair. We bought chairs and tables and all kinds of stuff. It was a chair and I started assembling the chair and I'm, I'm almost to the end, and uh, I'm, I'm short one bolt, right? And I'm, I'm digging back through the box, and I'm looking for more little plastic envelopes, and I'm looking through all of them, and I'm like, no, I'm, I am short. I'm short a bolt, and I'm thinking, Sven, seriously, dude, you had one job. Count to eight, and I got seven. I was just... And, and they're not, right, they're not bolts that you can just run down to Lowe's, right? It's a specific hex head, this length, you know, whatever. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have, I don't have the resources to finish the job. And the only thing almost worse sometimes is that you've got one extra bolt. And you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> and have the resources to fulfill the job. But if God gives you a task, the resources are prodigal, right? They are lavish. They are abundant. And so God makes promises again to Joshua. The first is he promises his presence. Read again verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Because just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the great promise of Scripture. I will dwell among you. And I will be your God. And I will be your people. And I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. You are mine. If you are once in the family of God, you belong to him forever. You're a child, you're a son, you're his daughter, and he holds on to you tightly, completely. That's a great promise of Scripture. And so God promises to, uh, to, to Joshua, just as he said, I promised to Moses, I will be with you, I won't fail you or forsake you, I'm going to put my spirit upon you. In fact, Moses lays his hands upon Joshua, and he experiences the power of God's spirit. In the Old Testament, that power would come upon them for a specific task and then might leave. But in the New Testament, we're told this is the mark of being a believer, the indwelling Spirit of God permanently inside of you. So that the same power, Paul would say in Romans 8, that actually conquered sin and death and got Jesus out of the grave is dwelling in you in this moment. Okay? That, we can kind of gloss over that quickly. But, you know, even yesterday as I was was thinking back through this passage, I, I thought, Lord, am I... Do I really believe that? And do I believe it for this moment that we're going to have together tomorrow in your word? Because I will tell you, sometimes I'm in the midst of preparing, and what I'm thinking about mostly is I'm thinking, uh, is this really engaging? And, I, and then, I, you know, God's Spirit will just kind of pull me back and say, well, I don't really care about what you care about. Um, I want my people to hear from me and I want them to have moments where the Spirit speaks and they listen and they let me transform them. And so one of the prayers that I pray as I'm preparing and then before I walk out of my office and I come in here is 
I say, Lord, I have nothing to say that changes anyone's life. And that's the point of this moment together. But that's not in me. So, uh, you know, as our worship team, we're standing around and our uh, production team are standing around. I just I kind of threw that back out this morning. Tertima said, you know, there, there are times when the church is gathered in moments like this and the spirit just breaks through and speaks. And it may be a word that you sing in a song. It might be a word that I say or it might be a word that I don't say. I've had so many people come up afterwards and say, man, when you said such and such, that just hit me. And I go, that's amazing because I didn't actually say that. But I'm glad that you were listening, not to me, but to the voice that you actually needed to hear. And so even in this moment, God's spirit can just challenge you and convict you and encourage you to say, yeah, I want to be bold and I want to be courageous and I want to lean into the callings of my life. And you can make these enormous decisions to let God empower you to be changed and have that impact. Not that you're adequate for it, but his adequacy is in you. So this is the same spirit that actually conquered the greatest enemy that we have. It's sin and death. And it's power of spirit, God's spirit. He is dwelling in you in this moment and in every conversation and interaction that you're going to have for the rest of the day and for the rest of the week. Same spirit promised to Moses and then to Joshua. Second promise, he promises his people. Read with me chapter 34 of Deuteronomy. If you look just across the page, Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. It says, Now Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Did you catch that? They, they listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses, but the previous generation didn't listen to Moses. But what God's spirit had done is he had he had removed that generation and had aligned the next generation around Moses' leadership. He had the people behind him. And we're going to look at this next week. And we, we're going to look at Joshua 6 through 8. You know, it wasn't that absolutely every individual was perfectly in obedience to the Lord, but the people were. Right? He had the alignment of the people, which he needed. He also had Caleb. But it's great to have a Caleb. I mean, Caleb was rock solid. He was on his team. He was pulling with him. They were, they were young men together. They were old men together. They were men who were, who were completely committed. We're told of Caleb that his heart was completely given to the Lord his God. Completely and utterly. And you know what? Every single one of you, you need a Caleb. And God wants to give you a Caleb. You need to ask for a Caleb. Another il- uh, illustration from my... Um, Small construction career. I, I bought a, a metal shed to put together. Thought, well, this would be quick. This would be easy, and it'll be cheap. And then I, you know, I unpacked the whole thing, and I realized there's 700 screws. I mean, I, no kidding. Like it's just bag after bag of screws. And I also realized I can't do this alone because you have to put this tiny metal screw through a hole, and then you've got to put a washer and a nut on the other side. But you you can't actually you can't reach it. It is literally impossible. So I called my Caleb. I called my dad, and I said, Hey, do you do you have a week? to install 700 tiny little screws. And you know what he did? Joyfully worked with me on the task. You need a Caleb. If you don't have a Caleb, say, Lord, give me a Caleb. Give me someone who will walk through life with me, completely committed to our callings. Third promise he had was God's word. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. 
And be careful to do according to all of the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, Joshua, this isn't the first time that Joshua finally picked up the law of Moses and began to read it, right? He, he, had, been, he had been absorbing and loving God's word for, literally for decades. I want you to turn back to Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. This is a great verse to, to highlight in your Bible. Exodus thirty three eleven. it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now, remember what happened? God, the, the pillar of, of fire or the, the cloud would come down over the tent of meeting, which was outside of the camp. Moses would go out there because God wanted to speak with him. He'd go into the tent. Every time he went out to that tent, Joshua would follow him out. He would get as close as he could, and then he would just camp out right at the edge of the tent, right, right at the flap of the tent. And I can just imagine God saying to Moses, hey, Joshua's outside. He's eavesdropping, but, but it's okay. I want him to be there. And Moses would get up, he would leave after speaking with the Lord, and where was Joshua? He he just stayed right there. Because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. How should you live your life? The word of the Lord tells you. What are you called to do? The word of the Lord tells you. But this was decades of of loving God's word and studying it and listening and absorbing and memorizing the word. It wasn't a casual acquaintance. So when Joshua finally gets his calling, he knows the Lord. He knows the Lord. And so the Lord says to him, be strong, be courageous. And he doesn't say that in a vacuum. He says, I've given you the resources to do it. And what he's saying essentially is this, uh, Joshua, devote, devote all of your life to this calling. Right? Just, just like when the Lord says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is everything in you. Give it to God's calling. That's how you know the power of the Lord in your life. See, sometimes I think we, we, just, we don't experience God's power because we're kind of in, but we're kind of not in. But if God says, this is the calling on your life, and you give yourself entirely to it, you will know the power of the Lord. But if you say, well, I'm kind of in, and I'm kind of doing my own thing, too, then you don't experience the power of the Lord. Joshua is being called to give Everything, right? And he would need every kind of strength that, that he, he, he could supply with the being God had given him. He would need physical strength for this calling, right? Uh, Joshua 1, Joshua's 80. Right? So when he's called to lead the nation of Israel, he starts this calling at, at 80. That would require a lot of strength from an 80-year-old. And you may, uh, you may be a, a little bit more of the mature generation among us and you go, oh, man, my strength's not what it used to be. I get that. But if you have the strength to come in this morning, you have strength to invest in the life of someone else. You have strength to fulfill your calling until God takes that final breath from you because what he calls you to do, he provides the strength to do it. He would need uh, intellectual strength, right? He's leading a smaller, untrained force against a larger, trained force that has fortresses, 
And we're told uh, that Joshua, by um, many secular military articles, that he was a military genius. He applied his physical strength. He applied his intellectual strength. He applied his relational strength. He would have to keep this people aligned toward a task. He gave absolutely everything he had. God says, be strong. That is, give all of your strength and be courageous. In fact, right in this, this section here, he says it three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because he feared that he wouldn't have enough strength. And so God hit, hits him with it three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be brave. Be brave. I had a friend tell me one time, he said, you know, Brian, you, you can't be both brave and safe. Because if you're safe, no bravery is required. And it's not safe to follow God's calling. You will experience uh, rejection and probably persecution. You will have to make sacrifices and the world will think you're foolish. You may uh, experience great persecution from family or friends or even eventually government. And then in the end, the promise of eternal life. But it's, but it's not safe. This journey right now is not safe. It's risky. And so we have to be brave. I remember the first time that I went to uh, Young Life Camp, went up on the ropes course. And, uh, you know, you had these little things. You'd traverse a rope from one tree to another, like 40, 50 feet in the air. You're, you know, you're on a little safety harness, but it's a little, it's a little sketchy. It's a little scary. First time you ever do that kind of thing. And right at the end of the ropes course, there's a zip line, right? You stand on a platform, you clip in, and you just, you're just supposed to jump. You're in a harness. You're supposed to jump. But when you jump, you, you fall first, right? Because the line's kind of stretchy, and you fall, and then you go to the bottom. And I remember standing behind uh, this guy, and uh, he froze. The ropes course instructor told me later, he said, we call that getting gripped. And I used to, later I would teach uh, people how to repel and rock climb and stuff. And that's where the, the phrase comes from. Because I get on a rock and they go, can't go up, can't go down, man. I'm gripped, right? And it's like, I mean, the, the muscles don't move any longer because fear has overtaken. And I remember seeing this guy in front of me and he was just gripped, right? He just, he puts his back up against the, the tree. He's standing on the platform and the guy goes, you're all clipped in. You got to jump now. I'm going to count to three. One, two. Three. I mean, he just, he didn't move at all. And so I don't know if they, if this is like even still legal or if they do it this way or not, but what the instructor would do is they'd get a second instructor who'd come along and he would clip in as well. And he'd say, you know, are, are you ready? I'm going to count to three and then you're going to jump, right? And, and he'd go one, two, three. And then the instructor would, would wrap him up like this and go, right? And so they'd jump together. And I, you know, he's all wrapped up. He said, you're going because everybody's piling up behind you. You got to go, man. You got to get there. But he couldn't on his own. So he got wrapped up and taken in. And that's what the Lord does for us. Right? God will call you to something that you can't do, that is frightening for you to do. But he'll give you the strength to do it. He'll give you the strength to do it. To make disciples, to pour your life into others. To share the gospel with people who don't want to hear the gospel from you. To see lives transformed. And so my question for you this morning is, uh, have you considered your calling again? Why don't you just think about it as we close. I'm going to give you just a few moments. Consider the calling God has placed on your life. And are you willing to say, God, I'm willing to be brave, even if it's not safe? Let me give you a few moments just to let the Lord speak, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, what we need is not words taught by human wisdom. We just need to hear a voice from your spirit. We need to really to hear that continuously. And I pray 
for each and every one of us that um, we would hear your spirit speak, that we would have courage, that we would uh, surrender our desire to, to be safe and we would be brave and courageous, that we would not look at these giants in the land. Instead, we would look at your power and your provision and, and your goodness to us. And I pray, Father, that we would trust you. And even this week, I pray that we would take really big steps of faith with you. I pray that as you put those opportunities in front of us, we would see those, we would embrace those, we wouldn't shrink back in fear, but we would move forward in faith. Father, I do thank you for all of your rich promises. I thank you especially for this gift that we have of eternal life in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you. Have a great week. Uh, If you want to read ahead, we're going to be in Joshua 6 through 8 next week.